Thanks, Kim. Well, I didn't get a chance to say Merry Christmas to you yet, so here we are. Like Peter said, it's the lean and mean crowd today. So it's kind of fun. I feel like I could almost greet you all personally, you know, just and say hello and mention you by name, but I'll, I'll skip that greeting this morning. Uh, this is the end of our Luke series. We took a, a little break from our John series and jumped into Luke for four weeks here for Christmas. And Thomas will take us back into John next week, the Gospel of John. So we're excited for that and excited to get back to it. And after a year and a half, we will eventually get through the Gospel of John. We too will do this. Well, at this Christmas time, I don't know if you, you noticed that at Christmas time, newsmakers always try to put positive stories in the news. It, it's really funny. They're always stretching to try to find a positive story to put in the news at Christmas. But uh, I don't know if you get tired of this, but... In, I notice in the news, there's a lot of extraordinary news. Ordinary news doesn't generally sell newspapers, so they always look for the extraordinary to sell newspapers or airtime or whatnot, and, and that's what sensational stories do. They sell newspapers and get web hits. And so it seems that these days that news is becoming more and more sensationalized. Even when they do report on mundane things like weather, they, they kind of sensationalize the whole process. If you've ever seen a weather report, it's not just snow's coming, right? It's a, a blizzard's coming, and no one should ever leave their house again until the snow leaves, and then we get an inch, and, uh, and it's like, we live in Iowa. But all of this sensational news, uh, I ran across a Facebook page this week that just cracked me up uh, because it's called the Ordinary News Facebook page. And it's run by someone who was fed up with sensational news. So she began to report on the ordinary news. It occurred to me that after I put this in my sermon notes that uh, I find this funny, but probably nobody else will, except for Matt Bloom. Matt and I might think this is funny, but probably not even really Matt, just me. So um, anyway, here it is. So the ordinary news, all right? She reported right from her website, the ordinary news. An ant was killed today while crossing the road. Eyewitnesses claim the bus driver failed to notice the ant. Ordinary news, you know? Nothing spectacular. Uh, also on the website, it was, Today it rained, the road is wet. See, just ordinary news, nothing sensational. They were going to report on this website that Mr. Smith bought a chocolate donut, but it was ruled sensational news after he found out that the donut, in fact, had sprinkles on it, and so it was now sensational news. So it got deleted from the website. Listen, I, for one, am, and I'm glad that news is sort of sensationalized a bit. If you've ever watched Central Iowa News uh, when there's nothing going on, it's really boring. And so uh, we sort of get used to this because no one really wants to watch farm reports on the Central Iowa News. So we try to look for sensational things. See, the, the fact is everyone wants sensationalized stuff because everybody in some way wants to be special. We sort of worship the sensational or the special, because some of us have this great fear, I think, in, that in reality, we're only going to be ordinary. I mean, everybody wants to be special. Nobody wants to be ordinary. And some of us used to, um, some of us are used to just this idea that our greatest fear in life might be that we'll just be ordinary and that we won't measure up. I used to have a band director in high school uh, he would always yell at us, and he would say, nobody's special here. Nobody's special, and uh, which kind of flew in the face of today's modern teachers who tell everyone that they're special. But what he meant was that no one gets to come in late to band, and no one gets the special privilege of, of talking when they're not supposed to talk. There's no one special. Just be ordinary. And I used to hate that, but I kind of got used to it. And there's some truth to that. Our culture tells us that everybody needs to be special. 
Our schools tell us every kid is special. They focus on the specialness that has put all of our hearts. And it's put into our hearts this fear of just being ordinary. And so we tell everyone that we're special. If you've ever seen the movie The Incredibles, which is one of my favorite movies, there's a scene where Dash, this little kid that can run a bazillion miles an hour, he says, Dad, Mom, Dad always says that we're special. And, and his mom looks at him and says, Dash, everyone's special. And I love it, this quote right here. Dash says, that's just a way of saying that no one is. I mean, have you ever wondered if your life was special in any way? Have you ever wondered if your life had any meaning? Or have you ever wondered maybe you'll just go through your entire life and be ordinary? Maybe your life will merely amount to getting up, going to work, being a good spouse, raising your kids. Maybe your biggest fear in life is being ordinary. I want you to understand, friends, today that this text we're in today, this this text here is absolutely, positively an ordinary text with ordinary people doing ordinary things. It's an ordinary life. I mean, this is really an appropriate message after Christmas because this is the message of uh, what happens to Jesus after he's born. Um, Jesus is about 40 days old at this point, and Joseph and Mary take him to the temple to fulfill their religious obligations. And if you read closely in Luke chapter 2 here, what Luke is trying to show us is that Jesus was raised perfectly in accordance with the law of Moses. Jesus' parents did everything right. Jesus was a good Jew. He fulfilled all the rituals and all the, the laws. Everything was done right for him. That's what Luke is trying to do for us. And so Jesus take. Uh, Jesus' parents, Joseph and Mary, take him to the temple to do what's right in accordance with the law. And while they're in the temple, they run into this guy named Simeon. Now, Simeon has been awaiting for the arrival of the Messiah. He has been waiting patiently. He's been exciting. He's been looking forward to this time. And God promised Simeon, Simeon, you are going to see the Messiah before you die. So Simeon was excited to, to, to hold the Messiah. And so when Joseph and Mary come into the temple, Simeon's led by the Holy Spirit to go to the temple right at that point. And Simeon comes up and he takes the baby Jesus from their hands. Now, I've always wondered what Joseph and Mary were thinking at this point, just letting this strange guy come up and grab their baby from them. You know, where did they, you know, police, this guy took my baby. But he's holding on and Simeon comes right up and uh, Simeon holds the baby and he blesses all three of them. And then while that's happening, this old lady named Anna, comes up and Anna was a prophetess and Anna comes up and Anna begins to speak about the Messiah and she offers her blessing and she speaks about the Messiah to everyone who would listen and Joseph and Mary wrap things up and go home I mean it's really not anything that special if you've ever I mean if you've ever had someone who's pregnant in your family or been pregnant it's really not all that much different than Someone walking up to the mall and holding their hand on your stomach and going, oh, look, you're pregnant. Or, or with a newborn baby, someone coming up and oohing and on over your baby and telling you how beautiful your baby is. I mean, it's just really not anything special. It's just kind of ordinary. It's not really exciting. And it doesn't really fit with our over-the-top Christmas, does it? I mean, in Christmas, we love over-the-top stuff. I was imagining 
this week. What would Disney do if Disney got its hands on this story and tried to make a cartoon out of it? I mean, can't you just see it right now? Joseph and Mary take the baby in the temple grounds and, and Simeon comes up and Simeon takes the, ba- the baby and he's looking at it. And then this sort of reggae Christmas beat starts, you know, and they all start tapping their toes and head bopping right. And people come out of nowhere, like all of a sudden they're just dancing and singing and they start dancing around Joseph and Mary and the baby. And then these guys repel in on wires with Christmas trees into the scene. And, and you've got Christmas trees everywhere now. And the snow starts falling. And Santa makes a cameo in the background, right? And the fireworks go off. And there's this entire chorus singing about the Savior baby. And then the song stops and everything disappears. I mean, that's extraordinary, right? That's a Christmas kind of story for us. But as, as it is, the story is ordinary. Simeon, an ordinary guy, holds the baby of Joseph and Mary, an ordinary couple, and, you know, it's a little boring. Makes me yawn just a little bit. This account isn't extraordinary, but I'm grateful for that. Because me, an ordinary guy, can relate to this ordinary text. This ordinary story. Now, this account in Luke chapter 2 is about four people who weren't flashy. They were faithful. Joseph, Mary, Simeon, Anna, they weren't all stars, you know? They weren't the life of the party. They weren't about to sign this multi-million dollar record deal. They don't have hidden talents that were about to be discovered on America's Got Talent, right? These four people, they weren't flashy. They were faithful. You know, it's the time of year where we all get Christmas cards. Clarissa has this great corkboard thing in our wall and every time we get a christmas letter it goes up there and it's kind of fun reading christmas letters when you get them i always enjoy kind of catching up on people as long as it's not too long right that gets the skim version but if it's you know if it's short i enjoy just kind of catching up on people's on ordinary lives this year i came across a letter uh that i didn't know this person but i came across it and it's called the most honest christmas letter ever She writes about her honest, sort of ordinary life. Check out this, all right? This woman says, uh, as she gives her year in review, her summary, she says, it started last January. She said, right after the new year began, our septic tank exploded. Up until then, I didn't know my dog had a taste for waste, nor that once poo begins bubbling up through your drains, your day is pretty much shot. Thankfully, there was a bottle of unopened wine near to hand, and even though it was only 6 a.m., I was able to calm down easily. In February, little Johnny was expelled from his kindergarten class and from school for bringing along a weapon in his backpack. We're still not sure how he got his hands on a crossbow. My husband and I are still so happy to be married to one another. Ours is a true soul-level love. He recently said why scratching his belly, Hey, babe. You know I love you, and I know you love me, so what's the point of staying in shape any longer? you got to stick with me since I'm the breadwinner. (laughs) Moving on. She says, as for me, aside from doing two hours of aerobics every day to stay in fit for my good-looking husband, I stay busy trying to stretch the food dollars to accommodate our growing kids. I also feel like screaming a lot. (laughs) Now, that's an honest Christmas letter, isn't it? I mean, it's just an honest look at her life and everything that happened. And it's sort of just, you can relate to that because it's ordinary. I don't know if the four people in our passage today would have written a Christmas letter like that, 
but they were a picture of these ordinary average people. And what these four had in common was not the flashy, but it was the faithful. Ordinary people weren't flashy, they were faithful. Because they were ordinary people with an extraordinary focus. And so today I want to walk you through this text and show you how these four individuals were faithful instead of flashy. I want to show you how they remained faithful because they were ordinary people with an extraordinary focus. And so let's look at them today. We'll look at Joseph and Mary together. Let's first of all look at at, at what Joseph and Mary do to not be flashy but faithful. How they are ordinary people with an extraordinary focus. Now, it's, if you've been in the church at all, you know, surely you've looked at Joseph and Mary a lot every Christmas time, in fact. And it's been well documented that Joseph and Mary were ordinary people. She was young, an average teenage who, at 14 or 15, for a Jewish person, it would have been a normal time for her to get married. And uh, the fact that she was pregnant at that age wasn't anything, uh, you know, startling, except for the whole virgin birth thing. But other than that, I mean, it was a pretty ordinary time for her to have a baby. She's not wealthy. They're not rich, not famous. They're just ordinary. And God chose them for this extraordinary task of raising the Son of God. Once Joseph and Mary have the baby Jesus, we kind of sort of lose focus on what they did next. But it's important. Joseph and Mary understood at this very moment that one of the most important things they could do in raising the Messiah, was to be faithful. They didn't run off to a media outlet and say, hey, we've got the baby Messiah, take pictures. And they didn't take out a full-page ad in the Jerusalem Times announcing the arrival of the Messiah. And they didn't sell tickets to see the Messiah, right? They just go on with their lives, their ordinary lives. See, they understood to accomplish the task of raising the Messiah, they needed to remain focused and faithful. Joseph and Mary were good Orthodox Jews, so they set out to faithfully execute the religious duties assigned to them by the law of Moses. I want to show you uh, today three religious duties that Joseph and Mary were focused on accomplishing. Now, the first one is the purification of a woman. Of these three rituals that they're going to do according to the law of Moses. Look at verse 22, if you have your Bible with me. The first half of 22 says, when the time of purification, when the time of their purification, according to the law of Moses, had been completed. All right, so here's here's this picture of this time of purification. And then if you skip over to verse 24, you'll see, and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Okay, so here's what would happen. According to Jewish law, a woman who had had a baby was impure. She was unclean, and she needed to be, be cleansed. She needed to have a, a ritual cleansing to be clean. And so 40 days after the birth of a son, a woman was considered unclean, so she had to go and offer up the sacrifice. She had to offer up a sacrifice to cleanse herself. And that's what Joseph and Mary do. Now, what I think is really interesting is that Joseph participates in this ritual, the text tells us. And the reason that Joseph participated in this was because you remember Joseph and Mary were all alone in the stable. We know the picture, right? In this cave, probably in Bethlehem. And no one was there to deliver the baby. I mean, normally Joseph wouldn't have been part of this. And yet he was right there, actively involved. So it made him unclean too. So Joseph says, I understand that not only does Mary need to be 
cleansed, but I need to be clean. And so they say, we need to perform this ritual. The second ritual that they go to, to Jerusalem here to perform is the presentation of the firstborn to God. If you look in 20, verse 22, the second half of it, it said, Joseph and Mary took Jesus to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of Moses, every firstborn male is to be presented. And so here we see Joseph and Mary that every firstborn, according to, to Jewish tradition, what belonged to the Lord. And that dates back to the time of Moses and the Passover. Every firstborn was God's. And so Joseph and Mary understand this. So they bring Jesus to the temple to present him to the Lord. And then the last ritual is really a ritual of dedication. And this one is a little bit above and beyond the normal ritual. If you remember in the Old Testament, back in the book of Samuel, when Hannah is crying out to the Lord because she can't have a child, and she says, Lord, if uh, you give me a child, I'll dedicate him to your service. And God does give her the child Samuel. And so she takes Samuel and dedicates him to the Lord. And it's sort of this next step in saying, um, Jesus' purpose is something special. Joseph and Mary sort of understood that Jesus didn't belong to them, that he belonged to God. Now, Joseph and Mary here were just ordinary people. They, they were just ordinary poor people. It was very common for people to be poor in this time. Normally, now we think of poverty as being something that affects a small part of our society. Um, although the numbers seem to be large, but it's proportionally a small part. But in Jesus' day, that wasn't true. Poor was ordinary. Now, it was very common. A rich person who would offer this sacrifice, or a normal person, would offer up a lamb. But a poor person couldn't afford a lamb, so the law allowed for a poor person who needed to come and make this sacrifice to offer up uh, um, some birds (laughs) to the Lord. And so they sacrificed two turtle doves and two pigeons. Hence Thomas's gift today. He needs your two total doves so that he can offer his sacrifice because he's unclean. <laughs> so there you go. So, I mean, hence the song, two turtle doves. I mean, this was a poor person's gift, sacrifice to the Lord. And they're just common. They're struggling to make ends meet like ordinary people. And they aren't waiting until things get better to do what God asks. Do you notice this? Joseph and Mary didn't go, well, we need to be clean, but we can't really afford it right now. And so, um, you know, and the law does allow for a poor sacrifice for us, but we can't even really afford that. And so we'll just wait. No, Joseph and Mary make it happen. And so many times, friends, you need to understand that I see it all the time and I tempted to do it. We try to wait until our circumstances change until we do what God asks. We try to wait. We're like, okay, God, well, my circumstances aren't ready for to do what you know, I'm supposed to do. And so certainly, you know, you'll understand if I just wait a little longer. And God is asking us to do something. I don't know how many people who I've heard say, well, we'll have a child when our finances are stable. Guess what? You'll never have stable finances. It won't happen. You'll be like 90, right? And on Social Security before you're able to have a kid. And so many people say, well, I don't have enough money to give to God's work. When things get a little better, then I'll give. It won't happen, right? Someone would say, well, I'll reach out to my neighbor when my neighbor stops being such a jerk to me. <laughs> Not likely, is it? Uh, I'll forgive my family member when they say they're sorry. Well, sorry, it's not going to happen probably. Um, I love my husband and I'll, I, I will love him when he starts loving me. 
Or I'll love my spouse, my wife, when she starts loving me. So many times we want to wait until the circumstances have changed to do what God asks us to do. Joseph and Mary don't do that. They're not flashy, they're just faithful. And they stand in here and they do what God has asked them to do with Jesus. Even though they're ordinary and even though it wasn't convenient or easy. They were focused. They knew that God, serving God was the single most important thing they could do. They weren't flashy. They were faithful. The third person I want to introduce you to this morning is this guy named Simeon. We see Joseph and Mary, and then we see Simeon. Now, Joseph and Mary were ordinary, and, and so was Simeon. Simeon was just this ordinary dude. If Joseph and Mary were ordinary because they were just ordinarily poor, Simeon was ordinary because he was like this wallflower. Simeon was the guy that you walk into a room and you don't even notice he's in the room because he's just plain and ordinary. In verse 25a, we're introduced in the first half of verse 25 there. Um, if you look at the text, we're sort of introduced to him. It says, There was this man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. Simeon was no religious superstar. Simeon was no Nicodemus. If you remember Nicodemus from John, when Nicodemus comes to Jesus in the night to learn about Jesus, Nicodemus was like a super Pharisee, right? I mean, he had status and standing. Simeon was no Nicodemus. Simeon was no Paul before he came to Christ. If you remember Paul, he was a Pharisee and he was rising in the ranks and People were putting their cloaks at his feet, and he was the superstar persecuting the church. And, you know, Paul could do great things because he was just a great guy and all this stuff. But Simeon was not Paul. Simeon didn't have a mega synagogue, right? I mean, he wasn't the pastor of a mega synagogue, and, and he didn't have thousands of people waiting to hear him speak. He wasn't even a popular rabbi. Simeon was just a dude, he was just a guy, and he just went about his business. And he tried to live his life God's way. The text says he was righteous and devout. You see, Simeon was in tune with God. He just lived an ordinary life and was in tune with the Holy Spirit. And Simeon wasn't just ordinary. He was an ordinary guy with an extraordinary focus. Look at what the text says again. The second half of verse 25. Simeon was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, the text says. And it continues. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ or, or Messiah. And so moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. Simeon was just this ordinary guy, but he was fo- focused and faithful. And he did what was right. Simeon cared deeply about the things of God. Simeon didn't just care about God on Saturdays when it was time to go to the synagogue, right? Simeon didn't just care about God once in a while. Simeon was an ordinary guy that was focused on God. He had a deep love for God's people, and he was looking forward to the day when God's Redeemer, the Messiah, came for his people. And so the Holy Spirit said, Simeon, because you've got a focused life, I'm going to reward you, and you get to see the Messiah. And so he had patient expectation. Simeon was satisfied with his ordinary life and God's extraordinary plans for him. He was excited to just do the simple, ordinary things that God asked him to do. And look at verse 29. Once God fulfills his promise to Simeon, 
Look what Simeon says, verse 29. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. I love that. It's like, Lord, you did what you promised. My ordinary life is fulfilled. I'm ready to die. Let's go home. He's just like, hey, let's do it. Let's go. That what happened to me that was supposed to happen to me, I'm ready. He had this patient expectation. He was focused on God and God's plan for his life. And friends, we are, if we are focused on God's plan for our lives, when we love the, just the ordinary life with an extraordinary focus on God, when we're satisfied with whatever he'll do in our life and we're ready to be faithful to him, if we do that, we don't fear death. When we've accomplished God's task for our lives, we should be okay with going home. Now, generally speaking, people in our culture don't think like this. We struggle in every way we can to do everything we can to give us a longer life, to cling to every single breath that we have. Because we don't understand that this life is short for a reason. God's given us a purpose, and then he'll take us home. We should, be not, we should not fear that. Look at New Year's resolutions, right? Top four, what, I don't know what the top four New Year's resolutions are exactly, but it's got to be number one, to lose weight, right? Number two, to eat right and be healthier. Number three, has got to be exercise. And number four, has got to be quit smoking. And so many times people say, well, I want to live, I want to do these things right so that I can live longer and eke every breath out of my life that I can. What if we just lived the years we had for God's glory? Then we can go home. When I, descri- when I die, I hope that describes me as faithful. I hope that's the description. He was faithful to what God called him to do, and then he went home. In Acts of King David, it says, David accomplished God's purpose in his generation, and then he fell asleep. I hope that's said of me. Someone can quote that at my funeral. Pastor Dave accomplished God's purpose in his generation, and then he fell asleep. I'm just going to that picture of just being okay, just being faithful to whatever God asked me to do. It's the Christmas holiday, and, and I've had a, a lot of time to spend with my family and, and, uh, and just enjoy that time together, and I've been thinking about my dad a lot this week. And you know, my dad, he's here this morning, but uh, we've had a chance to reminisce of being kids and growing up uh, with my dad, and, and what a great dad he's been. Uh, but a, as a kid, one of the things I remember my, about my dad is I don't remember my dad ever breaking the law, right? I don't remember ever breaking the law. We would be traveling on an interstate in the days when the speed limit was 55 miles an hour, and my dad drove 54. It drove me crazy. Come on, dad, you can hit 56, 57, come on, you can do it. But no, 54. Dad just did not break the law. My dad's colleagues described him as, describe him still to this day as the most honest person they know. In a profession in the accounting world where I'm sure he had daily opportunities to be dishonest for his own personal gain. My dad is faithful. Faithful in doing the things that God asked him to do. Uh, you know, um, one of the things I remember as a kid is, it's, Dad always had us in church, 
right? I mean, he always had us there. Uh, you know, we live in a culture today, and even probably back then, where people look for any excuse not to attend church, like it's the day after Christmas, right? <laughs> I mean, they're looking for any excuse. Uh, you know, today it's foggy, or, well, I have a hangnail, or uh, it's, you know, whatever. My dad has had us in church all the time. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, any special activity, we were in that building. I remember on Sunday nights, as a kid going, Oh, seriously, Dad, do we have to go? Are you serious? It's ABC Family Movie Night. Like, maybe Pete's Dragon's going to be on, and, and the whole thing. And I want to stay home. And nope, get in the car. We're going. You know, and I'll be at church. I'm like, Dad, the pastor's talking, and I have no idea what he's saying. His lips are moving, but I don't understand it. You know, but we were there. It was faith. He was faithful. But, you know, he taught us that keeping your commitment is important. Just simply being faithful. He taught us that in the fellowship of believers, being actively part of that is important. He taught us that it's not just about putting your butt in a seat and attending all the time. It's about actively being involved in the life of Christ's followers. He taught us it was important. My dad taught us so much about being faithful, being a man of my word, doing what I say, being honest. My dad's faithfulness taught me something about being faithful. You see, faithfulness puts God first in our lives, in our families, in everything. Friends, the ordinary become extraordinary when they have a focus on faithfulness. Joseph, Mary, Simeon, they all understood this. But there's one last person in this story, and she's an ordinary life with an extraordinary focus. And that's the prophetess Anna. Look at verse 36 in your Bible. Verse 36. There was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was old. (laughs) I love that. She was old. Um, She had lived with her husband seven years after marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple day and night, fasting and praying. This is a description of Anna. Don't you see the faithfulness just in that description of her? Now, Anna was a very old lady. Our text says that she was 84. But if you do a closer reading of the text, it's very possible that it wasn't that she was 84 years of age. But it was possible that she was, had lived 84 years after her husband had died. So if you read the text that way, if she was probably 14 years old, the average time a girl would have gotten married and... If she'd lived seven years with her husband and then 84 years as a widow, that gets me to 105. All right. So she's an old lady, 105 years of her life dedicated on being focused on doing what God asked her to do. And she sort of has a, a tragic life in that she's, I mean, she's just ordinary. Tragedy is not, <laughs> it, it's not extraordinary. Tragedy happens all the time. For a woman in this culture to lose her husband after seven years, so if indeed she was 21 years old when her husband died, you have to understand that this was like a death sentence for a woman. She had no means of providing for herself. She had no one to take care of her. She couldn't just go to Walmart and get a job and try to make ends meet. There was no government handout program for her. She had nothing. It was like a death sentence. And yet she used tragedy in her life as an opportunity to be faithful to God. She dedicated her entire life to the worship of God. It's like she almost lived in the temple is the picture you get. 
serving and they're constantly. Look at verse 38. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel. She didn't stop talking about God. I mean, don't you see the difference between Simeon? Simeon's like, I know my life's over, God. Take me home. Let's go. I'm ready. Anna at 105 is like, my life's not over. I got work to do. She started, hey, have you heard the Messiah is here? He's, I got to start telling people about Jesus because he's coming. He's here. I saw him. At 105, her life's not over. She's got work to do. I'd venture to say that for most of us here in this room today, you're probably not like Simeon. Hey, Lord, take me home. You're probably more like Anna. Lord, what do you have for me to do? You see, we've got a lot of living to do. A lot of God glorifying to do. Think about your life every day as a tool to glorify God. As we wrap up today, I want you to know, and I want you to walk out of here today with a very clear understanding that God is not calling you to be flashy. God is calling you to be faithful. Maybe you thought your life just wasn't meaningful and that it's not big and flashy. But actually, God is saying, don't be flashy. Be faithful right now. Faithful to God. Faithful to whatever task, no matter how mundane. Faithful to whatever he says. One week after they graduated from college, they were married. She taught school for a year. Then she became a bookkeeper for a surgical supply company. One day, for no apparent reason, she lost her balance and fell on the floor. The following day, it happened again. For no apparent reason, she lost her balance and fell. This time, though, she couldn't get up. She lost all feeling in her legs. They wouldn't move. Her husband had come to the office to pick her up, and he carried her in, her arms to, in his arms to the hospital. After six days in the hospital, the, the doctor gave this beautiful, active young lady this dreadful news. She had multiple sclerosis, and she would continue to deteriorate. This young couple had been married a total of 18 months. This young couple who loved to go everywhere together and do everything together would now face new challenges. All their future plans would change. Everyday life would change. And for the next 30 years, this young lady did deteriorate. Her bones became brittle. They broke easily. Her body was a mess. She went from a walker to an electric scooter to a wheelchair. She could no longer feed herself, write her name, or control her own bodily functions. She now had to have someone stay with her 24 hours a day. If that couple had not had this kind of commitment, committed love that's based on a personal relationship and commitment to Christ, and second, on a love that's based on commitment to each other, their marriage would have never lasted. In fact, a large percentage of marriages where a spouse has MS, the other spouse leaves them. The other spouse won't stay committed to the constant care and continual physical, psychological, and mental changes that continue to occur. The author of this article writes, Please hear me carefully. Those two people, those two people are not heroes. They are not super saints or super Christians. They will be the first to tell you that they are not super Christians. Those two people are normal, 
ordinary people empowered by the love of God and a love for each other to do what the world considers beyond normal and extraordinary. The author of this article continues. He says, I know this for a fact because that woman, that beautiful young lady who will never walk again, who can't even feed herself, is Lydia Langerfeld, my wife. She's not a hero. I'm not a hero. We're children of God doing what the children of God are supposed to do. Doing what his children are called to do. Doing what God expects of every man and every woman who make a vow before God on their wedding day. Quite often, he says, Hollywood will portray a hero as someone who sacrifices his life for the heroine of a film. In the world's eyes, he's a hero. In God's eyes, he's an ordinary man making extraordinary sacrifices that every Christian who's committed to his spouse ought to make. Sacrificial, committed love is the rule, not the exception. We're not super saints, we're not heroes, and we're being faithful and committed to our mates. We're doing what God has called every husband to do and every wife to do since the beginning of time. I love that article. Perfect picture. Don't be flashy, be faithful. Be an ordinary person with an extraordinary focus on God. Let's close our time in prayer. God, um, Lord, here we are, a whole bunch of ordinary people. And Lord, our greatest desire is to be extraordinary because of a focus on you. And so use our ordinary lives to bring extraordinary worship and glory to you. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen.